Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. Learn more about Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays at voxoc.com slash live and at the Eldorado Performing Arts Center. Well, hey, uh, my name is Andy. I am one of the directors and pastors here at Vox Community. Um, I'd like to say welcome to all of you that uh, may be new or checking this out for the first time. Wow, my glasses are glaring in a whole different way. How many of you just never clean your glasses and then you get in a weird situation and you feel blind? That's me right now. Okay, here we go. Um, <laughs> anyhow, so yeah, if you are if you're new here, um, I want to take a second to tell you about a few things. Um, we have a packed morning for you. We have a number of things to tell you about. Um, Mike is going to join us in a little bit here on Skype, um, and that's uh, one thing. If you're new here, I want to tell you about. If you're familiar with Mike, um, you might be coming in expecting that he would be here. Um, in fact, he moved to Ohio approximately about six weeks ago um, due to uh, some health concerns with his mom and himself, and uh, taking a season there. So um, we've had uh, this incredible uh, ability to actually bring him in to answer questions and teach over Skype. So uh, we've done that a couple times now, and we'll have him again with us here today. Uh, Later today, uh, we're going to be spending some time um, doing communion. Uh, We do this every single Sunday. We actually consider it the center of our service and the most, um, uh, I mean, the most important symbol that we actually have is we practice as a church community. Um, what that will look like is uh, we all participate together uh, down front and up in the side there. Uh, we have communion tables where you'll take some of the bread and actually dip it into the cup. Uh, in addition to that, we have prayer walls that we've uh, assembled over here uh, where you could actually write in prayers. We have a prayer team that's praying for you guys 24-7. Uh, so we collect those and they have the chance to actually uh, get a picture of where our community's at and be praying for you as well. Um, we have participation boxes around the room if you want to continue to financially support us um, as uh, it's necessary to kind of keep us going and uh, keep us here. Uh, So um, it's unusual that we actually have any kind of announcements aside from us talking about what we do here. Um, I do have one announcement. I will be on stage a little bit later to talk about something else that we're doing here this next season. But Bob, if you could go ahead and put up uh, the announcement that I have here for Tim. Uh, Not quite that one. Sorry, that's going to come later. It's the uh, little blue water one. I moved it into the default slides at the top. Well, that's not it. So it's coming. It's coming. Let me know when it's there. Uh, you know, for those of you that didn't know, we did actually start uh, this church out of a podcast. So the idea of dead air is actually kind of one of the great sins of uh, any kind of communication piece. Uh, but I'll go ahead and go. I uh, just kind of go into it. I think I got it memorized. Um, so. Uh, one of we actually have here a teaching team. So we have four different teaching voices that actually get to to teach for you guys. Uh, Mike is one of them. He leads the team. Uh, Tim Muehlhoff is one. Uh, Carrie and Ronnie are the other two. Uh, Tim actually participates at Biola. Um, uh, working with the Center for Marriage and Relationships. Uh, he has a conference coming up October 6th and 7th uh, called Gracefield Marriages. Uh, you can sign up for it on Biola's website. Um, we actually uh, have been in conversation with him a lot about this as we don't usually uh, make announcements about uh, external things that are going on. Um, however, we've really appreciated um, Tim's voice for having a very open, inclusive uh, model for how we actually teach marriage. So no matter where you're at as far as your relationship, how you see yourself as a couple, um, if you're single and interested in being married, Um, this is also something that we think that you can learn from. So we thought it would be, um, for many of you, actually a valuable experience if you were interested in attending something like this. So we we did want to say like, hey, we actually would feel good about inviting you guys to this as we're always aware of... um, what are some of the, the best ways that we can kind of walk and talk through these bigger conversations that cause us to process a lot? So, yep, there you go. That's the slide I was looking for. Uh, if you want to sign up, it's on Biola's website there. Um, you could do that. Um, Tim will make another mention of it uh, when he closes uh, the service today to give some of his uh, details about that. Um, 
So uh, last thing I have before I bring Mike up is I want to let you guys know, in addition to us praying with you guys 24-7, we always have live care here available every single Sunday morning. Um, We have a a community pastor team that's made up of over 15 people that are actually doing all of the marrying and the bearing and meeting with you guys uh, in the middle of the week for other additional care. Um, You can see, uh, you can find a community pastor uh, marked by an orange lanyard around their neck. I can see uh, Bruce down here taking pictures of me with his orange one on. Can you kind of flash that up in the air so we can kind of see? what that looks like. There it is. That's Bruce. He's one of our community pastors here. Uh, So we have a couple guys on call today um, that are doing that. If you need um, to talk to anybody about anything going on, uh, please find one of us in a black t-shirt and we can help you link up with one of them. I apologize if I'm talking very quickly. (laughs) We have a lot going on today. So without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and bring Mike up here. Bring. Hey-o. Uh-oh. Oh, Oh, sorry. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I I didn't realize I was on. (laughs) Hey, everybody. Good morning. If you can, if you can hear me, can you wave just so I I know you're out there? Oh, beautiful. Some of you didn't wave and uh, I know who you are. And so does Jesus. Um, Maybe, maybe you're refraining from wave just in, in solidarity with the NFL players today. I don't know, but man, we are so glad you are here. We are so glad that uh, technology exists sometimes a bit sketchily. Other times it works perfectly, uh, but to, to still be a part of the community. And if you're new, one of the things that we we believe about the church is that it's the safest place to talk about anything. And one of the ways we embody that is that we take uh, all sorts of questions throughout the week. And uh, we'll go ahead and start with those now. We'll go ahead and put up question number one. Let's see what we got today. Question number one should be a slide that goes up on the screen. There we go. Gary, can you tighten in on it so um, or put it up for me? Because I can't read it from that far away. There we go. I was wondering, hello. I was wondering, what is it that makes something sinful? Is it, uh, is it that it's sinful to people or just something inherent about it? Sincerely texting time traveler. Awesome texting time traveler. Okay, a couple of thoughts. First, we could spend hours on this conversation. Um, the word sin, uh, as, as is kind of well known in church circles, is, is a word that literally means to miss a mark or to fall short. Um, it was, uh, I believe, uh, it was an archery term, so that if you missed the target, you sinned. And a lot of the Word around sin, like trespass, are, are ideas of of boundaries or targets that are being missed. And um, according to Jesus, of course, the 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 target uh, for everything about what God is like is to love God with everything you got and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so, any failure to do that in any way, shape, or form would be considered sin. So, I would say it's it's both. It is something that's harmful to people. Yes, of course. And it's helpful to us. But I also think there's something inherent about it. And we could get into all sorts of philosophical debates about whether sin is an actual thing or whether it's a deprivation of the good or whatever. Um, but but the, if you just take the word, the word just means to fall short. Um, and it's not, it wasn't originally a religious word. It's just a word now that, that has come into our kind of cultural vocabulary um, to mean that we do something something bad, but it's a little more nuanced than that. So I think it's a great question, deserving more than this. That's the best I got here on uh, on Skype this morning. All right, number two. 
Question number two. This is not a question, just some positive feedback. Today was a Voxy day. And I, I'm wondering if this, this has got to be last. We invited our neighbors uh, that we've met while walking our dog. So walking, dog walking, very, very good neighbor relations. Uh, neighbor, uh, we invited neighbors we've met while walking our dog or families we've met at our community pool. Perfect. We've reserved our clubhouse and invited neighbors we've never hung out with before to come eat and hang out. That is that is incredible. That's exactly what we want to be as a church. Vox is always stressed reaching out to our neighbors and communities, and we wouldn't ever have thought to do this if it wasn't for the church and what it stands for. During this first get-together, let's already talk about more get-togethers. Thank you for changing the way we do church and in turn changing the way we live. Go Vox! And, and there's lots of exclamation points. First, this is wonderful. And Andy's going to talk a little bit about this later. This kind of idea. So we celebrate, uh, for us, we celebrate the Eucharist. The Lord's table is another way to say that. Uh, we celebrate that together every week. We're going to start something called Table Fellowships this fall. Andy's going to talk about those. And that's for people in our community who open up their homes to other people in our, our community. But what you're doing is something we've called personal table, which is the idea that you open up your home or or a you know clubhouse or whatever for people literally are your neighbors and that could be from your soccer team from work from whatever uh and the goal is to just share a meal and get to know them and who knows what god will do with that sort of proximity relationship so well done you are exactly this is what it looks like if uh you're going to be part of vox i love it bless you thanks for the feedback all right next question Views on homosexuality? Question mark. <laughs> um, I would say there are many views on sexuality in our community. We've got folks that are um, that are on the non-affirming side of that whole equation. That would you know either hold that it's a choice or uh, uh, sinful, or you know would not be supportive of, of same-sex marriage. We've got. Folks on the other end of the spectrum who are same-sex attracted and married, who and then we've got folks, you know, in the middle who who are still figuring out their views. So we, our goal, we don't have a stance on it officially. If that's what the question is, our goal is to be a place where affirming, non-affirming Christians um, can love and serve each other, and, and recognize that we we have various views, and and um, uh, there are folks all over uh you know if you look at it as a spectrum between affirming and non-affirming man every every you know single uh, position you can hold on this issue is represented in the community it's one of the things that we love if you're interested in more we did a whole series of podcasts on, on this um uh, that'll give you a little bit more of the flavor of of kind of what we uh, hope to accomplish uh in the community and uh and why we're we're that you know Trump supporters and illegal immigrants sit next to each other, why Republican Democrats, why folks that are affirming can sit next to folks that are not affirming. And and you know, it does cost something to have that kind of community, but that's always been the goal uh, and the dream box. All right, last question. I think we have one more. Would you ever invite or welcome a rapist or a woman who was a slut or was used for men? Uh, I'm assuming this is this is to the church, and um, first of all, if the rapist was currently practicing, no, we would never invite them. Um, if this is somebody who had done that and had 
treated um, repentance. Uh, of course, um, we're, we uh, we're a community for recovering sinners, and so absolutely, if there were um, if there were safety precautions in place, and this person had demonstrated fruit of repentance, of course. Uh, 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 we'd be open to that. The the other two issues uh, about women, I, there's no there's no question, there's no hesitation. There's of course, of course, those people would be welcome. In fact, those were people that um, Jesus felt really comfortable um, hanging out with, and 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 even more importantly, they felt really comfortable hanging out with Jesus. So uh, his church should be the place where those people feel safe and. And, um, and feel uh, feel absolutely welcome. So yes, yes, yes. Now, Gary, is the audio good enough to teach, or are we switching? Okay, okay. So, um, so for some reason, I'm a bit choppy. I'm so sorry, guys. We're trying to work this out. Uh, nice thing is, we've got um, an incredible teaching team. So I want you to welcome and bless Tim Yulhoff. Say hello to Tim. I love being a part of what's happening in California. Thank you so very much. Boy, he got out of there quick. You noticed that, didn't you? Because the University of Michigan is undefeated and Ohio State is not. That was a, that was a, that was a, that was a quick exit right there. <clears throat> Here's what I want to talk about this morning. Great promises from the scriptures that don't work. At least for me, they, they just don't work. Uh, I, I got a chance to go to Cambridge uh, with my wife. I'm working on a book right now, kind of a neglected topic, spiritual battle in marriage. Very few books are written on that topic. And so I was writing a book. Uh, we spent a month there. I was headache free. Uh, I'm a migraine sufferer like many of you are. I didn't have one migraine, didn't have one headache. Uh, and my sleep was disrupted um, because of, we lived in this really hot apartment. We had to open the windows, and there were all these graduations happening around Cambridge, so drunken men at three in the morning singing. And I thought, well, for sure I'm going to get migraines and stuff, and I didn't, I didn't get any. I came back to the United States, first day got a migraine. And, and you know, all the stress was waiting for me, my job, um, different projects I'm working on. So there's a verse, and then I have children who are taking faith steps. You know, um, I'm so proud of my kids taking the GRE for grad school, the LSAT. These are really stress-inducing tests, and I'm proud of them for going for it. Uh, I tried to help them with the math and wound up just saying, pray for you. I mean, I... <laughs> If you're not carrying the one, I'd carry the one. You know, that's it. Can I get you something to drink? That's all I can. So one of my, technically, one of my all-time favorite verses is that the Apostle Paul tackles this. Now, this is a man who's going to be martyred. This is a man who, who is basically the leader of the church. And he has this powerful passage from Philippians that I think is absolutely beautiful and just most times doesn't work for me. So let's take a look at the passage real quick. Uh, Rejoice in the Lord always, Paul says. Now that's powerful coming from a man who's under house arrest, who eventually would become martyred. That's powerful. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, 
But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Next slide. So Paul is very clear to say, anxiousness should not be the state of a believer in Christ. It shouldn't be the constant state. Uh, Next, he says, here's my antidote to it. So next slide. I want you to pray, which is fascinating. That's what he mentions more than anything else in this passage. I want everything to be prayer. Supplication, that's simply, um, uh, prayer could be general. Supplication is your personal request, Paul's saying. So not just general prayer towards God, but it's okay to ask for your daily bread, like Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount. Let your requests be made known to God. So here's what Paul's saying. When you're anxious, I want you to pray. I want you to give your particular requests um, and do that. And the result of that's going to be that God's spirit is going to provide you peace. Like, um, And he uses a military term, right? Will guard your hearts. Uh, that would be like you set up centuries to guard your heart against anxiousness. Okay, so Paul says, I want you to rejoice in the Lord. I don't want you to struggle with anxiousness. I don't want that to be habitual. And the antidote to that is prayer. So let me just be very candid. I do wrestle with anxiousness. I do worry about my kids. uh, Biola University is going through massive changes. I worry about that. We're being challenged uh, by Sacramento to try to close our doors for political reasons. Um, I have book projects that are due. I have this, that, and this, and that, and this. I get migraines. So I do pray, but it doesn't provide the kind of peace that Paul's talking about. So maybe it's that I'm not praying in the way Paul is praying. That might be an interesting thing to think about. Maybe the way I'm approaching prayer is much different than what the Apostle Paul had in mind when he says three different times, I want you to pray, pray, pray. So let's take a look at that just for a second. Next slide. Oh, I'm sorry, yeah, and the peace of God will guard your hearts, a militaristic term. Next slide. So why doesn't Paul's advice seem to work? Uh, Next slide. I think we're too quick to pray. Uh, This is Eugene Peterson, who's had a big impact on me. I think he's very insightful. That is why so many of the old masters counsel caution. Be slow to pray. This is not an enterprise to be entered into lightly, but I enter into it lightly all the time, right? I'm in my car praying. Uh, I'm walking my dog, Ginger, praying. I got my feet up on the coffee table praying. Right? I enter into praying very quickly, and I think Paul is saying, I think Eugene Peterson is saying, but I don't think that's how you should handle prayer. I don't think it's something that you should just enter into lightly. And let me give you an example of this. One of the reasons I came to Biola University is a friend of mine, J.P. Moreland, generally considered one of the top Christian intellectuals in the world today, uh, he was here. Uh, we were either going to go to Wheaton in Chicago or we are going to go to Biola. So we, we finally decided Biola, and J.P. Moreland said to me, hey, when you get on campus, let's have coffee together. I was like, man, that's awesome, great. So I get on campus. He said, let's do it at 10.30. So of course I show up at like 10.15. I'm not going to be late to coffee with J.P. Moreland. And I remember standing outside of his office and just thinking, okay, I'm about to have coffee with one of the top Christian intellectuals in the world. 
Um, okay. <sighs> right? And he said, come in, and I walked in. Why? Because it was J.P. Moreland. My respect from him was enormous. Here's what hit me. I never do that with God. I never have that type of moment. I never, with God, say, okay, whoa, okay, I'm about to pray. I'm about to address the God of the universe. It's amazing he's going to listen to me. But I, and I just launch into it, right? Imagine me just walking in on J.P. Moreland, like, hey, hey, J.P., how are you? And J.P. would be like, now, I, I, so I think there needs to be a moment, Eugene Peterson is saying, where you actually prepare your heart to pray, that you say to yourself, this is what I'm about to do. I'm about to address the God of the universe. Amazingly so. Now, we're going to talk about qualifiers. We don't walk in as slaves. We walk in as children, right, adopted by God. But there's not a moment where I stop and just compose myself. Like, you know, this is going to be... This, I mean, if President Barry Corey called me into his office, right? I'd get there early, and I'd say, okay, this is going to be... I know President Corey, but this is going to be it, right? I never had that type of hesitation with God, and I think my prayers are poorer because of it. Next slide. This is Martin Lloyd-Jones. He's called the Prince of the Preachers. This is what he says about prayer. We should say to ourselves before we pray, I am now entering into the audience chamber of that God, the Almighty, the Absolute, the Eternal and Great God, with all of his power and his might and majesty, that God who is a consuming fire. Right? That type of... Now... You might be thinking of objections right away. Okay, but aren't we supposed to call him Abba? Absolutely, we're supposed to call him Abba. Don't we have that kind of relationship, a, a child to a parent? Absolutely, we have that. But, but we diminish that if we don't have a great respect for the parent. You see, my great respect for J.P. Moreland makes it really cool that I can sit and have coffee with him. My great respect for President Barry Corey is that I get to walk into his office, we get to sit down, and actually we're friends, so we get to talk like friends. But if I don't have that great respect for them on the front end of it, it diminishes the casualness of it. And today, my personal opinion, the American church is locked into casualness. Uh, we, we've lost with the, with the ancient church fathers, right? We don't have a holy sanctuary, Right? We meet at a, you know, at a school in an arts center. So we don't have that moment of walking in a cathedral like Noreen and I did in London, St. Paul's Cathedral, where you wouldn't dream of horsing around and, of course, you take off your hat. And you're not on your cell phone. Right? We've kind of lost that as Americans, so we don't have that moment where we pause before we pray. At least I don't. Next slide. We, we have forgotten to engage the body. I think this is so important. So <clears throat> imagine if I'm having a conversation with J.P. Moreland, I kick my feet up on his desk. Or I'm just kind of, you know, just really super casual talking to him. I, I, I don't know what that would communicate to him. And as American Christians, we have just believed that the body doesn't matter anymore. So uh, there's a great scene from a, uh, a book called To Kill a Mockingbird. If you remember it, Atticus Finch is a, a white lawyer who has been given a case of an African-American man who's been accused of raping a white woman. Now, this case is done. This is the 1920s. There's no way Atticus Finch is going to win this case because it's going to be an all-white jury and they're going to acquit. 
But he takes the case on principle and argues to the best of his ability that in fact this man is innocent and that the woman is lying you know, for a multitude of reasons. Sure enough, he loses the case. He knew he was going to lose the case, right? In the courtroom scene of the movie, you have African Americans are forced to sit in the balcony. They're not allowed to sit with the white people. So Anakin Finch is putting papers into a briefcase collecting himself because he's lost, and he starts to walk out, and the African-Americans all stand. His daughter, Scout, is sitting, and one man, a pastor, leans over and hits Scout and says, Scout, stand up, your father's passing. And I thought to myself, why did they stand? Why did the African-Americans stand for Atticus Finch? Because of utter respect towards him. So, uh, so I did a, a prayer project. I determined that for six months, I was never going to pray casually. So in other words, I wouldn't pray in my car. So, uh, driving in my car, I would think of things to pray, and I would hang on to them and pray when I would get to my office. Now, in my office or my home, I made the decision for six months, I would only pray standing up with my arms raised, I would only pray kneeling, and I'd only pray laying uh, prostrate, you know, head in the carpet. Uh, that was a tough one early in the morning, right? I had, to, I had to save that one for other parts of the day. Now, let me be very clear about something theologically. Does God hear me better in my office with my arms raised, better than he hears me in the car? No, the answer is no. He hears me. By the way, we could say a really interesting thing about prayer. Do, do I even need to pray? Does God know my thoughts ahead of time? Psalm 139, God knows a word on your tongue even before the word's on your tongue. Um, the, uh, the New Testament, God knows your needs even before you ask him for these needs. So a fascinating question to ask is, why does God want us to pray? So much so that Paul says in everything by prayer and supplication. Why in the world does God need to hear your prayers if he already knows your needs and he already knows your thoughts? So let me give you my best answer to that. Because he delights in hearing your voice. So uh, when I travel sometimes because of my work. Um, and my kids were playing sports, so it was brutal to miss these games, right? So I literally would get a blow-by-blow blow from my wife. I, I literally would get text messages. I would call her in between games at a tournament, say, how did, my, how did they do? How did they do? Oh, okay, you won't believe this. Jeremy did that and this, and he got a three-point shot, and boom, boom, boom. I'm like, oh, awesome, awesome. Don't leave out any details. Okay, boom, 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 boom. Awesome, awesome. Later in the day, I called Jeremy, and I say to Jeremy, how'd the game go? Now, I already know how the game goes. I know he missed the three-point shot. I know he got a rebound. I know he stole the ball. I know this. I know everything. Why do I want Jeremy to tell me about it? Because I want to hear his voice. I, I want to have a relationship with him. I think it's fascinating that God says, the reason I want to hear your voice is because I love your voice. I, I know exactly what happened in your day. I know everything you thought about, and I know, I know every challenge you faced, but I want to hear your voice. So standing and praying with your arms raised is not that God hears you better, but it does something to me, right? I then, and any time my arms would lower, I would stop praying. 
I'd bring my arms back up and then I would re-engage. You know how you have these crazy thoughts, right? During prayer, isn't that insane? During prayer, you have thoughts. Like, um, how hard is Yiddish as a second language? What? It's like, why do police officers have locks on their lockers? What? And it's like, what? Okay, so when I had those, I would lower my arms. Okay, I just had that bizarre thought. What if the Lions won the Super Bowl? I will settle just for beating Atlanta today. Okay, enough, I digress. So, so I then would bring my arms back up. Again, this is me believing what I'm doing. And then I had an interesting moment in my prayer life where it's like, how much do I need to pray? This was a really interesting moment. My dad worked in the factory. He had three boys, three rambunctious boys. My dad was 18 when he started working in the factory, 18 when he got married and had boys, boom, boom, boom. We would mess around all the time. Like our job was to do the dishes and it always ended in water fights and blah, blah, blah. So my dad would would let it go on, but then he'd have enough. All my dad needed to do was to say, enough, and we stopped. So, you know, sometimes in my prayer life, I just would stand up and I would say to God, I'm just praying about one thing. So here's my one thing. And I give it to you, and I know you care about me. I know you love me, and I know you just heard me. I give it to you. So my prayer times became less, but I more believed what I did. Now, that's a corrective, right? We, we don't want to just stay with the corrective because then we would need a corrective to the corrective. Paul does say, uh, pray about everything, pray without ceasing. So I'm not opposed to casual prayer, but if that's all I'm doing, I think I'm doing a disservice to myself. If all I do is pray when I walk the dog or in the car or in the shower, I think I've weakened my perception of what's actually happening when prayer is happening. I think the body is incredibly important in me realizing what has happened. Okay, next slide. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. I'm going to give a whole sermon on this. I think think there are ways that the American church has gone off the rails. And I think one of the ways we've gone off the rails is we only offer one type of thanksgiving and forget the other type. So for sure, I think Paul is saying, yeah, I want you to be thankful for the things that are happening in your life, right? Maybe your career is going well. Well, Lord, I thank you. Thank you that I have a job. Thank you that we can pay the mortgage. Thank you that my kids right now are healthy. Thank you that, right? So I I think he means that, but as American Christians, we think that's all there is. We forget about the spiritual realm. See, if Paul was just doing as American Christians do at Philippi, his prayers are pretty short. His Thanksgiving is pretty short. Why? I'm in prison. And there's a good chance I'm going to get martyred. So uh, what is there to say, thank you, God, for my situation? But Paul primarily doesn't mean that type of thanksgiving. He means spiritual thanksgiving. So when he says, rejoice in the Lord always, what he's getting at, I think, is what are the things you can rejoice in no matter what? I don't care what your condition is. Uh, It doesn't matter what your health is like. It doesn't matter how the kids are doing. What are the things that you can rejoice in right now that are beyond circumstances? And as Americans, we just tend not to do that. So right now, if we're followers of Jesus, what can we say? We can say, right now, I'm assured that if I die, and I'm going to, I'm going to be in God's presence in heaven. 
I'm assured that all my sins are forgiven. Every sin I've ever committed has been dealt with and it's, it's just forgiven. I have the love of God, right? I'm being sanctified. These are things that I can say thank you for even if um, things start going south with migraines or let's say I'm phased out at Biola or anything like that. Paul is saying, I want you to rejoice in the Lord and the things that Satan can't touch, that circumstances really can't touch. That's the book of Job. The book of Job is a deeply disturbing book where Job loses everything except one thing, and that is the love of God. And if he's judging the love of God on the externals, then he'd have reason to curse God and die right then. So I think that's what Paul's trying to get at is, I want you to be thankful people. I don't always want you to just merely focus on your career, your job, food, health. Now, by the way, the Lord's Prayer tells us we can pray about those things, right? He said, Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. So God's not ignoring those kind of things. He's saying, but when you start to praise me, let's focus on the... Um, eternal things. And remember, Paul himself would say that. I'm gambling the whole thing on one fact, that the life to come will outweigh the suffering of the life that I live in right now. Uh, next slide. So here's um, two things about thankfulness that are convicting. Seneca is a Roman philosopher, not a Christian, but he says a very interesting thing. And this is G.K. Chesterton. Um, so Seneca says, this is an abomination, and G.K. Chesterton, a very famous Christian writer, thinker, author, says the test of all happiness is this. So let's have the next slide. Ingratitude is an abomination, and the test of all happiness is gratitude. By the way, psychologists have done this. Uh, there are, uh, uh, happiness is a massive topic today within psychological circles. What makes you happy? And this one woman, I can't even pronounce her last name, it's an unbelievable long Polish name, um, but she did this definitive survey on happiness and she said this, the most happy people I have ever encountered are the people who experience chronic pain or a, a health situation that isn't going to be resolved. Specifically, she was talking about all the people she interviewed that had par uh, paralyzation of some kind, quadriplegics, why? Because they became amazingly in tune to the really small things I should be thankful for. Right? I'm moving at light speed. My schedule is I move at light speed. Right? And things happen and I never really stop to enjoy them because I'm, I always got the next thing on my to-do list. That's just how I do things. So I don't like driving to um, Vox today that it's just a beautiful California day. Right? Um, I don't think about the fact that I have a, a great family. Um, we're gonna have bagels afterwards. Uh, that's our tradition. We're gonna sit and we're gonna watch the Detroit Lions. That's not always great. Um, I don't stop to smell the roses very often. And her study on gratitude said, but you know what happens with a migraine sufferer when the migraine is not quite as bad as it was last yesterday? I'm thankful for that. On the rare occasions I don't have a headache, I'm really thankful for that. A quadriplegic, I'm really thankful that I have such a sense of smell and taste. Right, things that we take for granted. She said, these are actually heightened for people who suffer. And she said, that's one of the residual benefits uh, that some of the most happy people are people that really do take time and appreciate the really small things in life in the midst of whatever that we're struggling with. 
So the test of all happiness is gratitude, Chesterton said. Next slide. Uh, Robert Emmons, this is another guy who did a study on happiness. He actually is um, working on a massive project at Biola University on the power of grace and gratitude. He says, people who are grateful do tend to show a positive recall bias, conjuring up many more pleasant memories than unpleasant. When asked about past life events, just as depressed individuals show a negative recall bias. So talking from a psychological standpoint, when you um, reflect on your growing up as a child, do you have a positive recall bias or a negative recall bias? So let me tell you what that means. I grew up in a dysfunctional household. Uh, my dad was um, manic, um, a factory worker who worked double shifts because we needed the money. I, I didn't realize how poor we were until I was in college. My mom finally told us that we almost lost the house. and you know, st I just didn't know that. Um, I, the one thing that tipped it off was we always got our clothes at Kmart during blue light specials. Always. I remember one time saying, man, Kmart is crap. And my mom grabbed me, grabbed me pulled me in, looked me right in the eyes and said, Kmart is good quality clothing. <laughs> wow, yes, ma'am. Right, so I could have, if I allowed myself, a negative recall bias, right? I could look at all the negative things that happened in my house and you get stuck in that negative spiral is what Emmons is saying. He said, happy people aren't oblivious to the difficulties, but they have a positive recall bias in that they, they look back and say, but here was what the good was. Even within the bad, here's what the good is. So my, my, um, my dad just, we, he just wasn't a very intimate guy. He just didn't, right? I mean, we, today we shower our kids with, I love you, I'm so proud of you, and wow, you put your pajamas on. Hey, I've got... <laughs> I have an award. It's a trophy. It's a person putting on pajamas. Here. I had it made. Um, but so when I look back, I remember, I remember one time. So I, I, was a, I, I got my varsity letter in wrestling as a freshman at Henry Ford II High School in Detroit. I, I had a judo background. I had done martial arts for years, and it worked really well in high school wrestling. It, it really applied. So as a freshman, I got the starting spot on the varsity team. Now, my dad very seldom came to watch me wrestle. He, and my mom never came to watch me wrestle. That's negative recall bias, right? I, I can think of my dad just never, ever came. We never missed anything, if possible. My wife is like one of the best sports mom in the world. She wanted to go to games when I did not want to go to games. I mean, our kids played baseball. Oh, talk about a dark... <laughs> Night of the soul. <laughs> we figured out, we figured out, we sat in those stands 150 hours before playoffs and all three of our kids made playoffs. Oh my word. So that's negative recall bias, right? But here's one thing. So I got my varsity letter. I got my varsity letter and got a varsity jacket. It was August when the jacket came in. August in Detroit. We're driving home. We picked it up from the cleaners, me and my dad. My dad looks at me in the car. He goes, put it on. Put it on. I said, Dad, it's like 90 degrees. He said, put it on. I put on my varsity jacket. He goes, look good. You look good. 
Now, I can choose to remember all the bad, right? But to recall the positive, not to ignore the bad, but can the good find its way to the surface? That's a positive recall bias. I think the scriptures are saying even Job needed to have a positive recall bias and the fact that God still loves me. Even though everything else is gone, I still believe that God loves me and that he's good. Right? Next slide. So gratitude is the acknowledgement of goodness in one's life. Of course, material blessings. By the way, we live in the United States. Um, I have my students take their summer earnings and go to a horrible website that will ruin your life. So don't ever go to this website. It's called globalrichlist.com. You go into that list, you punch in your earnings, and it compares you to everybody in the world. So we're talking um, poor farmers in whatever part of the world, and I guarantee you your income is going to put you really high when it comes to global rich lists. We tend to just compare ourselves to Orange County, and we're always lacking. But worldwise, I would argue, we're the young, rich young ruler Jesus is talking to, Americans are. That doesn't apply to everybody, and some of you are hanging on by your fingertips, right, financially. Uh, so th- I'm not saying that's you, but for the vast majority of us, just our income, and by the way, my income as a professor and part-time model, um, <laughs> I... <clears throat> Relational, right? What are the friends you have? And what are the good parts of the friendship, not the parts that disappoint you? And then the spiritual, I think it's most neglected. Next. Uh, uh, so text your questions. Because I, I, know, I know some of you right now are saying, but I'm the counterexample. I'm the counterexample. I, I, I have negative recall bias because my life is negative. That's why I have negative recall bias. I can sit right now and tell you all morning why my life is bad and it makes it even worse that you tell me I have a good, loving, heavenly father because he's absent. Woody Allen, an atheist comedian, once said, the only excuse God has is that he doesn't exist. Right? So, I, I mean, I, I want to acknowledge some of you are in the dark night of the soul that I talked about a couple weeks ago where you just feel like, man, God is not present. And I want to appreciate that. And even in the dark night of the soul, what can I cling to? It might just be one thing. Next. So this, I want to end with this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. That's powerful. Not rejoice in your material goods. Not rejoice in the fact that your marriage is doing well. Not rejoice in the fact that I'm dating someone. Not rejoice in the fact that my grade point is a certain level. Paul says, no, 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 don't do that. Because I couldn't write that if that's what I meant by it. I'm supposed to rejoice in the fact that I'm in a Roman prison heading towards martyrdom? No, that'd be sick. That'd be twisted. God isn't saying rejoice in the fact that the results came back and you have cancer. God's not saying that. He's saying rejoice in the fact that even in the midst of the cancer, there are some things that are true of you and will never go away, right? So rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say to you, rejoice. What are the things that I can stop long enough to say, even in the midst of my disappointment, here are some things that I can rejoice in. Last slide. Because the Lord is near. 
So by that, he means two things. One, I think we have to embrace the fact that God is omnipresent, that God is here in this room just as much as you're here in this room, right? And second, Paul did believe that Jesus was coming back. He did believe that Christ was coming. Now, we have to deal with the fact that he's not come back, right? And it sure seems like we're heading in some interesting directions as, the, as a country and a world. But Paul had the feeling that God was present with me as I went through these really hard times. So I want to rest, So has that made me less anxious? It's made me more appreciative. It's made me, it's worked on my recall bias that I want God to do certain things in my life and I'm anxious whether he would do it, and that's legitimate. I think God is saying to me, but I want you to rejoice in the things I've already done. And I'll be honest, if I sit there and think, well, what has God done for me? I think Paul would say, you see, you're thinking like an American. I want you to back the train up and I want to say spiritually, what is true of you right now, regardless of any of these things turn out in a positive way? What is true of Tim Mulehoff right now that you can cling to? And I want to say that I'm more than a conqueror. Remember that sermon I gave a while ago? Paul said, you're more than conquerors even though you're like sheep being led to slaughter. I think that's the place Paul wants to get us to where we say, even right now in the midst of my disappointment, in the midst of my anxiousness, there's some things that I can be thankful for. And we might want to say, but I wish it was so much more. But God says, but what's the one thing you can be thankful of? And that's what Paul, remember Paul would say, Christ will never leave you nor forsake you. And for the early church, that was enough. For the modern church, we think, eh, Okay, so let's bring out Andy. Are you going to come out? Okay, Andy's going to come out, so thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. Oh, man. Um, it's funny. I usually never follow up coming after a teaching or something like that. We're going to talk about table fellowship here in just a second, but it's crazy. I'm sitting there side stage just listening to Tim talk, and I'm like, yeah, negative recall bias. I get that. Like, I'm, I'm mad at my dad. I'm mad at my mom. Like, I, I was in, like, a punk, hardcore, like, screaming band for so long, and so much teenage angst boiled up into, oh, that'll be my future, be my career. And I was just thinking about all the stuff that drove that. And then I remembered... Um, this one acoustic show I played, I was by myself at a coffee shop with a couple friends, and that was the one show my dad came to. And it just kind of struck me. I'm just like, I remember everything about what that felt like in the moment. And all I remember was actually gratitude. I remember feeling like, I'm so glad he's here. You know, and it's so, it's so easy to just think about, like, all, all the effort and emotion I put into trying to accomplish something else at the, in spite of something that was happening there, when in fact, like, what really triggers in my memory is that one nugget of something wonderful and beautiful, and I, I just don't, I don't let that resound. I don't let that resound, and what I remember is the angst and, and everything else, so, um, ah, that's so good. Um, so that being said, um, what we want to do is we want to talk a little bit about Table Fellowship because we're actually ready to launch uh, the next season of Table Fellowships, um, which is where um, is a great place to talk about these very things that we've even heard today. So um, how many of you uh, attended a Table Fellowship uh, last season? If I can just get, raise your hands. Awesome. So there's so many of you that get to participate this time around as well. Beautiful. So uh, Table Fellowship has been a language that we've used a lot in our teaching and understanding what the vision is for Vox. Um, there's three ways that Table Fellowship um, actually plays out. But uh, Bob, go ahead and hit that first slide for me. 
So what is Table Fellowship? Uh, at Vox Community, we observe the Eucharist as a centerpiece for Sunday gatherings. It's a beautiful symbol of Jesus' sacrifice and invitation of association. We extend its symbolism in Table Fellowship as a reminder that Jesus had no hesitation to eat and drink with anyone. Next slide. Uh, so it's expressed in three different ways. Go ahead. Corporate table. So that's what we do here every single Sunday. As a, as, as a large group, we go and express, participate in this symbol together. Um, there's so many of you in this room that have different views on things, uh, different places in your life, some that are healing and happy and some that are, are broken and dealing with a bunch of negative recall bias like myself. <laughs> Community table. So this is uh, the type of uh, gatherings that we actually offer in homes um, from many hosts that we have here, where they'll invite in friends, neighbors, and many of you that are in the community to actually just have a meal together and share that space together. And lastly, personal table, which is offered by you, as Mike kind of talked about in the Q&A, for neighbors, coworkers, and family members um, in your own home for initiating countercultural friendships. So um, what we're focusing on, though, is the idea of community table fellowships. Bob, go ahead. Next one. Okay, so I'm going to go through just a brief list here of explaining how what these actually are and how these work. Um, these are hosted by Vox team members, selected for their excellent hospitality skills, and are socially engaged in group settings and reflect a stable spirit that makes room for all people in process. Next. They reflect the core values of Vox community. It's a safe place to talk about anything, serves its guests first, and seeks to engage the next generation. We share a meal together, and it's a conversational experience. We learn more about each other and explore new friendships over a meal together. So this is the new thing that we're actually going to be doing for this season, and I'll explain more. We will spend a moment to hear teaching from Mike on personal table and peacemaking each week via Facebook Live, then casually discuss as, as to consider how we might be encouraged to open our own home and personal table. And these are also gatherings that are designed to host up to 20 to 30 people, children included. Uh, it's an homage to a former era where new friends and neighbors eating together represented relief, service, and communal care. And last one, Bob, is I think just the, there we go. So, um... The last season that we did this, we took a lot of feedback from our hosts, took a lot of feedback from our attenders to ask them, what would you do different? What did you miss? What did you like? Um, the one thing that we heard most was uh, that people wanted to keep attending the table fellowship that they had gone to. The way that we did it last season was we, we published something like 24 different dates for homes and places that you can sign up for. We encouraged all of you to actually try to visit different homes as a way to meet a lot of the different people in the community. Um, what we heard from you guys was you wanted to return back to the same location to meet some of the same people you met before to actually build those relationships. So um, that's what we're going to do this season. We're encouraging you this time when we open up signups next weekend is that you'll sign up for a home and that's where you'll be actually from fall all the way through spring. So it'll allow you to uh, press into those relationships a little bit deeper with the folks you're meeting. Um, and then you'll find a little bit more challenge month to month as Mike is doing some of this teaching and training about personal table. Um, and you'll be able to revisit that. Now, we still encourage if you want to visit another home and meet some other folks, that's completely welcome. Um, ideally now though, we're not going to be having to deal with you signing up for each time that you go, you're signing up for one home and then you'll be there for, um, the rest of this season. Um, so yeah, so that's what it looks like. I will next week, I'll be revisiting this again, talking a little bit more about it, giving you more direction about how to sign up, but, um, prepare your calendars. We're going to be doing this on the second week of every month, uh, from now until June next year. Um, kind of in the evening time. Oh, we have a question. I'll answer a question. Hey. Second Wednesday. It'll be the second Wednesday night of the month around, we're thinking probably 6.30 or 7 p.m. So, 
Okay, we're really excited. We had tons of great feedback from last season. We're looking forward to this season as a slightly different. Mike will be involved. Everyone's actually meeting at the same time, uh, basically city and countywide. Uh, so that's that's just going to be a lot of fun. We're looking forward to that. So I'm going to go ahead and bring Izzy out. And we're going to um, enter into this next time. So the back end of our service um, is what we call kind of our response time for the service, which is inclusive of the Eucharist and communion um, and, of course, worship. We haven't done any worship this morning just yet, so uh, here we go. Um, but, yeah, for, for many of you, um, worship has had kind of an interesting uh, place in your life. Um, I can say that I have spoke to many, actually, worship leaders that have shown up here in our church and just needed to actually sit and listen to the songs and hear the words sung over them. When they're used to singing them all the time— they had lost so much of their touch and meaning. Um, for us, that's an affirmation of many of us that just need permission sometimes just to sit and listen. But largely what we're asking you all to, to consider is to be engaged, to be willing to be surprised that God might do something here this morning. So there's many of us who also stand, that raise our hands, that express gratitude to God, that express prayers before God uh, via worship. Um, and we invite you to do that as well. Um, so with that said, uh, all is welcome. And I'll let Izzy take it away. Hey, there's participation boxes as you leave. If you feel so led, we appreciate everything you're doing. We don't take that for granted. Uh, I want to leave you with the words of C.S. Lewis. He's a man who's deeply impacted me. Lewis said this, The present is quite workable, Lewis said, if we don't do two things. If we don't add to the present the guilt of the past and the anxiety of the future. So today, not ignoring the anxiety that you have, not ignoring the truly hard things that you're facing. But today, in this present moment, I pray that you would rejoice in the Lord, that you would find one thing to say, uh, I can be thankful towards the Lord for this one thing. So let me pray for us as we leave. Father, we are thankful. We're thankful for Christ. We're thankful for his great sacrifice to us. We're thankful for this daily bread that we have received. So Lord, this day, resting in the fact that the past has been dealt with, our sins have been forgiven, and that the future is something you know, you know what waits for us Monday morning. But today, we choose to rejoice, we choose to rest. We pray in your son's name, amen. God be with you. Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. You can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voxcommunity. Participate in the Vox Community at voxoc.com slash participate.